Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is a joy to be here with you today. Hey, if this is your very, very first time you accepted someone's invitation to watch online or you're at one of our locations, whether it's Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, at our Seymour campus, here at the Greenwood campus, we want to give you a very, very special welcome. This is your first time. Could we give it up for all of our guests today? Someone has invited you because they believe that you're going to be blessed by what's going on in and through Emmanuel. So thanks for coming. And for those of you who are back and you're not brand new, it's great to see you too. Welcome back. We're actually wrapping up a series today called The Benjamins. We have been talking about money in church. Right here, right here. Now, why would we do that? People get funny when you talk about money in church. There's a stigma out there that says, man, you know, when the pastor starts talking about money, it's because he wants you to give it so he can maybe line his pockets with it and go over and buy a Bentley or a Corvette or something like that. And so I'm not going to pay, give any, pay attention to anything he has to say because I don't trust him. Now, unfortunately, that has happened. And so we got to fight against this kind of, this stigma to talk about money in church. And I'm not going to back away from it. Here's why. Because the Bible talks so much about money. Did you know there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about finances and money? 16 out of Jesus' 38 parables had to do with finances or money or material possessions. Why would Jesus talk so much about the Bible? Why would there be so many verses in the Bible, in Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, about money? Here's why. Because money and life are intertwined. I mean, what can you really do in life without money? Can you get married without money? No, you need some cash, right? Can you have babies? Can you have children? Can you have a family without money? No. Can, can, can you have a pair of shoes? No. Can you have clothing, shelter? Can you have a, a place to rent or a mortgage to pay? You can, it's hard to do anything without money. We need money. We've said in this series that money is like oxygen. It's very close to oxygen. We need it to survive. And because of that, Jesus talked about money and gives us instruction about money. And we're forced into a relationship with this thing called money. Whether we love it or whether we hate it, whether we're somewhere in between, we have to learn how to deal with money because we need it to live. Now, what we've said in this series is that if we have a toxic relationship with money, if we're in a dysfunctional relationship with it, it really can devastate our lives. We can end up going to school and studying something we hate because we want a job that pays more money. We can end up taking a job and have a career that we really don't like or we're not passionate about because, after all, it pays more money. You can end up getting with the wrong person because you think they have money. Like, you can end up spending and spending and spending so much where you have mountains of debt, crushing debt, because you have a dysfunctional relationship with money. We can even start doing illegal things because we want more money. And so this series has really been about, you know, learning some new ideas from Scripture about money so that we can relate to it in a healthy way such that 
money is a blessing to us and not a curse. So we've been talking about how money is a test. Week number one, it's a test of our character, a test of our work ethic, a test of our stewardship, a test for our love, our love for people. Week number two, we talked about how money gives us options. We looked at a verse in Ecclesiastes that when stuff comes up in life, problems come up, and, it, and they always do, like a, a broken water heater or a flat tire. You need some money to be able to solve those problems. And last week, we said that money is not just, we don't just work for it, but it works for us. We have to put it to work. We need to invest a portion of our money. I was, uh, I was in the gym this week working out, and this guy walked up to me and said, man, I just love the service last week. What a great financial seminar. I was like, what? <laughs> that was a sermon. That wasn't a seminar, but whatever, whatever. But, like, but the Bible talks about how we need to be investing a portion of our income so that we are not coming up with eight different ways to eat Alpo at the age of 75. So, and that's a Dave Ramsey joke. Anyway, we got to invest. So here's another idea I want to wrap this series up with. There's a lot more we can say about money, but we can't do like a 15-week series on money. That would take us all the way through Christmas and New Year's. But so we got to wrap this up. Give, let me give you one more thought about money. This is the talk that everybody dreads. This is the one that, you know, we say, I'm not going to invite my friend to that one because <laughs> I, I don't want them to hear the pastor talk about this idea, but I have to talk about it because it's so critical if we're going to have a healthy relationship with this thing called money. Today is the giving talk, okay? So everybody take a deep breath. Take some notes, have an open heart, an open mind, because we all need to hear this. Here's the idea. Money is made to be given. In other words, the purpose of it coming into your hands, at least for a portion of it, is to be given away. It's made to be given away. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we're going to look at two particular chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9. Let me give you a little context here what's going on. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a group of Christians in Corinth, and he's trying to motivate them and encourage them to fulfill a financial gift that they said they were going to give to a group of Christians in Jerusalem who were very, very poor. Okay, so that's kind of the context with which chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, you know, that's what's going on. I want, to, I, want you to be, I want to begin in chapter 8, verse 11. Look what, look what Paul says here. <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 11, sorry. He says, yes, Corinthian Christians, you will be enriched. In other words, God will resource you with some money in every way so that you can always be, say it with me, generous. Like the reason God puts a portion of, your, a portion of money in your hands is so that you can give it away. Money is made to be given. You say, wait a second, last week, Pastor Danny, two weeks ago, you said money is for you to have options in life. And for you, when life happens, you can, you know, pay for stuff. When, when the car carburetor goes out, cars don't have carburetors anymore, but when they, you know, when something happens to the car, you can get it fixed. Yes, I did say that to the tune of about 75% of your income is supposed to go towards living expenses. Life happens, and so that's where that money goes. And Pastor Danny, you said last week that we're supposed to make our money work for us, and we're supposed to invest it. I did say that to the tune of about 15%, and so we're supposed to take some cash, and we're supposed to put it in there so that we can retire well. What do we do with the rest of it? The rest of it is designed to be given away. Generosity to the tune of about 10% of our income. We take the last portion of it 
and we put it there. Now, biblically speaking, the way to properly do this and the way my wife and I practice this is we flip these two around so that when we get paid, the first thing we do is take 10% and we put it in the bucket. That's called the principle, the first fruits. And the reason we do that is so that we don't get to the end of the month and we're like, oh man, guess what? There's no money left to give to the church. We're all out. Ever happened to you? Okay, so in order to avoid that situation, we pay the church first, then we invest, then we live. Make sense? Yes or no? Okay, so that's how we do it. You don't have to do it that way. That's just the way I believe the Bible teaches to do it, and it all works out for us. Generosity, money is made to be giving. Years ago, there's a book that came out called The Paradox of Generosity. Fantastic book, 2010. A bunch of research was done in about 2,000 American families. It's not a Christian book. It's not a spiritual book. It's just a book about giving and not giving. And what, the, what these folks found is they studied 2,000 American families across the United States. It's amazing. Here's what they found. The more, the more generous Americans are, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life they enjoy. They also found that generous practices enhanced overall personal well-being. And they did all this research. They did these four-hour in-depth interviews with all these different families. And they just found that the families that were, generally speaking, generous with their time and their money, they had more purpose, more happiness, more life, more joy in their life. And I'm like reading this, and I'm like, you guys didn't have to do all that research. Because Jesus said 2,000 years ago that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Like, why did you do all that? Like, I'm glad you did the research and it, and it supports what Jesus said. But we already knew that people who are generous are happier, they're healthier, they have more purpose, they have more joy in their life. The paradox of generosity, the, 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 where that title comes from is the thinking in our world today is if I give you something, I lose and you win. I have less money, you have more money. That the paradox is actually the opposite. The truth is actually the opposite. The more that I give, the more I'm blessed. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now we know all that, we know all that, but we still, we still struggle to give. If you've been coming here to church for the last couple of years, you, you've heard me say that, but it's still a struggle to release resources and to be generous with the money God puts in our hand. Why? Why? Well, you know, we're, we're greedy, we're selfish, we overspend. We, there's all kinds of reasons why. There's not enough money at the end of the month. You know, all these different things. We don't make that much, whatever, whatever. We still struggle to give. In fact, in the research, they found, this is what, this is what Smith and Davis had found, that, that there are Americans who are generous. But, watch this, many other Americans, by their own admission, live fairly ungenerous lives. They do not, for example engage in much or any voluntary financial giving to valued organizations or good causes. Zero. Nothing. Nada. They do not volunteer their time and, help, and, help, uh, and, and labor to help others in need. They do not extend themselves much in relationships with family, friends, and neighbors. Consequently, these less generous people are less likely to be happy, healthy, and leading purposeful lives. Not a Christian book, not a spiritual book, just a book about the data of what's going on in American life. Americans are by and far not very generous people. And you know, it's not much different in the church. We use an organization called PushPay. So if you do give money here to the church, most likely you use PushPay. If you text give to 65248, it takes you to a platform where you can set up a gift. That's our PushPay platform. PushPay serves 
11,000 churches in the United States. They were founded in 2011, and they do a fantastic job. I think thus far, $6.9 billion has been given across the United States through the PushPay app across all 11,000 churches. We use it. They came out with an article recently because they have all the data about the Christians who go to church in America. This is what they found. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. Now, if the standard was 10%, which I believe the Bible teaches, not as a rule, but as a guideline, we'll talk about that in a little bit, and the average Christian is given 2.5% of their income, we got some work to do, yes or no? Like that. Now, here's what's encouraging a little bit, is that Emmanuel, based on average income in this area, we're at about 3.2%, but that's not very good either. You with me? We could use some coaching on this, yes or no? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some coaching today. I am a coach at heart. That's what I do. I coach my kids. I coach my wife. It doesn't go well when I try to coach her, but (laughs) I'm going to give you some coaching. Here's why. For two reasons. Number one, God wants you to experience fullness of life through generosity. Like it's his plan to be more blessed when you give than when you receive. There's a joy, there's a happiness, there's a peace, there's a purpose through generosity. And then secondly, together we can accomplish so much more. Do you know the incredible things we're doing off of 3.2% of the income of all of our families here at the church? We're doing incredible things. We just launched a brand new campus. Every single Christmas we feed over 600 kids over the Christmas break who otherwise wouldn't eat because... They don't have the money to buy food over the Christmas break. We feed over 30 kids in in Haiti every single year, year year-round in an orphanage that we all built together for $100,000. Like We are doing amazing things on 3.2%. You know what we could do if everyone did 10%? We could triple our impact in the world. Instead of launching a campus every three years, we could launch a campus every year. Instead of feeding 600 kids downtown, we can feed 2,700 kids down. Like, we can triple our impact if we all jumped in and lived more generous lives. So, I want to give you some coaching today. And the five ideas that have helped my wife and I become more and more generous. And we still have room to grow in this, and everyone's on a different path, and and so no, no one's perfect on this deal. We can all grow. Let me give you the five ideas. Number one... This helps me so much. You are never more like Jesus than when you give. Here's the way I wrote it in your notes. We are more like Jesus. We are most like Jesus, sorry, when we give. God is a giver. The the most famous verse in the Bible, you can quote it back to me, ready? For God so loved the world that he gave, a little bit more excitement, he gave, he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a giver. He gave us his most prized possession, his son. Gordon MacDonald wrote a book on generosity, and he's an author I like to read, and he said something that I thought was spot on. Listen to these words. Genuine Christianity compels the true Christian to become a generous person. Why? Why? Because the central act of our faith is an act of generosity. Think about it. When you put, if you're, those of you who are Christ followers today, when you trusted in Christ, you were trusting in an act of generosity. Jesus gave his life on the cross for you. He gave away everything he had so that you could have life. In 2 Corinthians, remember I mentioned the, the, the context of chapter 8 and chapter 9. Paul says these very words to these Corinthians and he's trying to motivate them to be generous. Listen to how he says it. He says, you know about the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he was in heaven with the Father and the Spirit, ruling and reigning. Though he was rich, 
Yet for your sakes he became poor. How? He descended to earth and took on the form of a man, became a servant, so that through his poverty, becoming a man, a carpenter, you and I might become rich. How do we become rich? Not financially, but spiritually, by trusting in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Christ descends to earth, takes on the form of a man, and that through his poverty, we might become rich. Follow his example. The central act of our faith is an act of generosity. When that, when that hits me, it helps me. When I look at Jesus, I see generosity. It helps me to be generous. My generosity flows out of response, out of a response to his grace. That may not help you. You may not want to be like Jesus. That's okay. Then that one won't help you. Let's look at number two. It has to come from your heart. We are never more like Jesus than when we give. And number two, it has to come from your heart. You have to want to do this deal. Let me tell you what was going on again, a little bit more what was going on in 2 Corinthians. You see, the Corinthians had promised to give a gift to the church in Jerusalem, but they hadn't given it yet. So Paul was motivating them and encouraging them to follow through on what they said they were going to do. And so he's sending a group of people, a group of Christ followers, to collect the gift. And he's saying, I don't want to be embarrassed when they get there. I don't want you to be embarrassed. I put, I put my name on the line. I vouched for you. So when they get there, be ready for the gift. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 9. So I thought I should send these brothers and sisters ahead of me to make sure the gift that you promised was ready. But I want it to be a what? Say it with me. A willing gift. Not one that you give grudgingly. Not one where you say, oh, here goes the pastor. He's preaching about money. And, and now I feel bad. And now I feel guilty. So I guess I'll pull some money out and put it in the offering. Not like that. Not grudgingly. He wants it to be a gift where, where you're willingly saying, I want to do this. This is exciting to me. Look what he says in verse 7. Each one of you should decide, or each one of you should give what he has decided in his or her, what, where? Heart. This is something I want to do, to give, not out of regret or compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, if you're going to give to the church or give to somebody else or give to some organization out of guilt or regret or compulsion or you feel bad, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't qualify. God does not accept it. He wants you to give out of a cheerful heart. He wants you to get excited about it. I have a friend who, uh, who's learning about this whole process of generosity, and, and uh, he, he's in real estate. And at some point, I'll let you guys hear his story. He's got a great story. But every time he makes a sale, he comes up to me. He says, you're not going to believe what my 10% is this time. <laughs> he's so excited. And he, because he gets the idea that, that God is looking at his heart and he loves to give and he cannot wait to give. Now that helps me. It helps me that, that to know that I'm never more, li never more like Christ than when I'm giving and, and that God wants it to come from a place of, of joy and not guilt or, or manipulation or compulsion. Number three, number three, it helps me to know that I'm the beneficiary, that you are the beneficiary, that you're gonna be the one to benefit. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds, a farmer who sprinkles a few seeds, he gets a small crop. Makes sense, right? But the one who plants generously and throws out lots of seeds everywhere, that farmer will reap a generous crop. 
crop. What is he saying? He's saying, when you give, put the money in my pocket, when you give a lot of money, when you spread it out all over the place, you're going to get back a generous crop. But if you just give out a little bit here and there, then, then don't expect to receive much in return. What is he doing? What is he saying? Well, he's saying the same thing that Jesus said, that you, this actually blesses you, that you are the beneficiary on the back end of it. You think the receiver is the beneficiary, but you are. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Give and you will receive. Wow. Where did Paul get his teaching? He got it from Jesus. You give and then you will receive. Your gift will turn in full to you, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. And then he finishes with this statement right here. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. Wow, what's this provocative teaching? Does he really mean that? You better believe he does. Now, what he doesn't mean is that this is only a financial transaction. Now, some preachers, unfortunately, have said this and done this, and I don't agree with it at all. It's called the prosperity gospel. You give to God $500 and you'll get 1000 back. So 500 get... That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, if you ever hear a preacher say that, run! <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. Now, it may happen that way that you put in $100 and get $200 back, but it's not a financial deal only. Let me, will you say, what am I talking about? Well, when you're faithful in the, with the resources that God has put in your hands, with your time and your money and your, re, and your talents, God is watching. And if it's from a place of cheerfulness, if it's from a place of willingness, he will return the blessing. Now, that blessing may be in the form of physical health, emotional health, mental health, a job that you love, a healthy baby, teenagers that obey, There's a blessing. Put a financial number on that one. What would you pay for that one? How about a sweet marriage? What, do you, what, what kind of price? What would you pay for that? See, I, my wife is here today. I'm not going to embarrass her too much. But we've been married 22 years. Three. Ooh, I got that one wrong. 22, 22, okay. And she still likes me. In fact, uh, a lot of times when I come home, uh, she actually greets me with, with a kiss and, and a hug, and, and she's happy to see me. And we have this tenderness thing going and this friendship thing going, and we cannot wait to get out of town to be by ourselves, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 22 years in. So I may not be a, a rich man, like, oh my gosh, you have millions of dollars. No, I don't know. But I am a rich man in many other ways. How is that? Well, I've got this marriage thing going, and kids are doing great, and just lots and lots of goodness, great friends. I've got great friends. Man, I've got some good friends. How is that? Well, for 20 years, my wife and I have been returning the tithe, 10%. You add that up, that's a lot of money. Like we could have a vacation home in Florida by now. <laughs> that is a lot of money. And I don't have that, but I have so many other things. My life is entirely blessed. And I tell you, it goes back to this principle of just having a generous 
heart. Now that helps me. It may not help you, but it totally helps me to open up my hands and to be more generous. Let me give you this fourth one. I've got two more, four and five. Number four, you have to believe it's God's will. You have to, like, in your gut, believe. This isn't Pastor Danny preaching a sermon, trying to get into my wallet to get some money to the church so the church could do. No, 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 no. This is a God thing. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, come on, you're the beneficiary, but you have to understand, God is the one at work here. Listen to the next verse. Look, look, look what Paul says. He says, for God is the one. You see that? God is the one at work here, giving the farmer seed so that the, he can plant the seed and have bread to eat. In the same way, Paul says, he will provide and increase your resources. For what purpose? Watch this. And then produce a great harvest of generosity in and through you. Wow. Why does God put money in our hands? He puts money in our hands so that we can have a harvest of generosity. When we come across someone who's in need, we can give it. We can bless him. We can give to good causes a portion of the income that he gives us. Now, I just believe that. I was reading Hebrews the other day in my devotions and where the one-year Bible is at. Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. And uh, in that, in that uh, chapter, it says that Abraham obeyed God because of his faith. Now, he had some big decisions to make, you know, to leave the place where he grew up and lived and, you know, sacrifice his son Isaac. He had some big... How did he do that? He obeyed God because of his faith. I'm telling you, the same is true in my life. Not that God is asking me to sacrifice one of my sons or leave this land or go... No, no, no. Thankfully, it's nothing that big. But he's saying, hey, trust me, return the tithe. I'll bless you. See if I won't open up the heavens and pour down a blessing upon you so much that you can't even handle it. See if I won't do that. Okay, I believe you. I trust you. And he surely has done that in our lives. I just believe he's behind this thing. When you have that kind of conviction, you don't have a problem being generous. So let's say you got that all figured out, right? You believe it's God's will. You, you know, you, you're, you're, you're trusting him. You, get, you have this clarity that you're going to be the beneficiary. You get all that sorted out, right? And then now we got to get down to the, to the, to the nitty gritty. You got to make a decision. And, and this is going to be some real practical help here. You, number five, you've got to get clear on the amount and be consistent. Clear on the amount and be consistent, Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Watch this. He says, on the first day of, say it with me, every week. Do you see the consistency there? On the first day of every week. Some of us think we're generous because last, last Christmas we went downtown and gave $20 to somebody in the street. I'm generous. Remember that one time? <laughs> no, you're not generous. That was an act of kindness, a random act of kindness. I'm talking about consistency on the first day of every week. Now, somebody's like, well, I don't get paid every week. Okay, on the first day of every second week. Okay, well, I get paid once a month. Okay, on the first day of the month when you get paid. I'm talking about consistency, okay? What do we do on the first day of each week? We set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Now, what does that mean? That just means in proportion to what you make. Some of us are in jobs where one month we make this level and the next month we make this much. Some of us are in jobs where we may have a consistent income. Some of us are on fixed incomes. What he's saying is that the amount that you give should be in proportion to how God has prospered you, not, in, not according to any other any, any, any other strategy. 
Which is why it's, I believe the, the best thing to do is to, instead of coming up with a number like, oh, we're going to give $100 a week. Instead of coming up with a number, come up with a percentage. Because the percentage will shift as your income shifts. It will be in keeping with your income. So Jackie and I use the 10% rule. Not as a rule, but as a guideline. I would recommend to you to use 10% as a guideline. Why is it not a rule? In the Old Testament, it was a rule. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was a tax. It literally was a tax that allowed the temple, back in those days, they didn't have the church, they had the temple where people would go and worship. There were priests and all types of staff there. And the 10% went to support the the upkeep of, of the temple and the priests. And so it literally was a tax. Now, today we have something very similar. We have a church, and guess what? There are bills in the church. These lights, they cost money. The soap that you guys like in the bathrooms, they cost money. You say, well, you don't have to spend that much on soap. I know, I know, I know. The toilet paper costs money. And guess what happens with the electricity and the heat and the air conditioner? Guess what we get every single month consistently? A bill. <laughs> it's like your house, right? So when y'all are not consistent or when you don't give, look, that's, that's, a, that's an issue. That's a problem because our bills are very consistent. We have five campuses now. So we use the 10% guideline that takes care of all that stuff. Now, you don't have to do 10%. In fact, the New Testament teaches that you could do 15. The New Testament teaches that you could do 20. There's not a rule. It's just a guideline. You say, man, I'm not in a position to do that. Well, you can start at two. And then next year, bump to three. And then next year, bump to four. Like, this is about grace. This is about a relationship, not about rules and regulations. Does that make sense? Now, let's say you got all that figured out. You got the, you got the amount. The, you're going to be consistent. Now, Paul talks about the practical results in his little letter that he's writing here. It's actually a big letter. Listen to what he says. He says, so two good things result from Your generosity from your ministry of giving. Watch this. Number one, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be be met. You guys are going to make a difference in their life. Like kids are going to eat. People are going to have shoes and clothes. And and they're going to have a roof over their head. And they're going to be able to pay their mortgages. and, And you are going to make a difference on the ground in real people's lives. I love it. I love it. I love it. All day long, we make an impact. And then he says this, and on top of that, they will joyfully express their thanks to, say it with me, God. What happens here through generosity? Your generosity opens up people's hearts to God. What did Jesus say? He said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5, 16, right? Like our generosity, generosity, your generosity is actually an evangelistic tool that stirs people's hearts to be open to the realities of God. A couple of years ago, a couple of buddies of mine, we, we, were, we were having breakfast and we started talking about, you know, being generous and, and try, you know, how would we do that? And, and so one of us came up with this idea, like, let's drive over to the grocery store and just wait for a mom to come out and bless her. And so we're like, okay. That's a little awkward, but let's try it. <laughs> so we drove over to Aldi, and we're sitting in the Aldi parking lot, like, scoping women out. You know, it's like, does she look like a mom? Does she look like a mom? It was a little creepy, I have to be honest. Someone probably almost called the cops on us, I'm sure. So we're waiting, and we're waiting. We're like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Sure enough, this, this, this mom walks out. You can just tell she's a mom. She's got groceries to feed, like, you know, 40 kids. You're spilling over top, and, and we're like, oh, there she is. And so the three of us get out of the car, and we're just walking over to this woman, you know. 
real creepy situation. And we start talking to her like, hey, you know, it looks like you got a big groceries bill there and, you, you know, you're feeding kids. And, hey, we're just, we're, we're just three guys from Emmanuel Church right down the road over here. And we were wondering if we could pay your grocery bill. And she's like, what? That's crazy. I can't believe it. Why would you do that? I said, I don't know. We're just out here trying to, trying to just, you know, be generous. And, and uh, can we do that for you? She, I said, how much was it? She told us what it was. It was like 200 something dollars. So we gave her the money and, and she walked away and we walked away and we we're like, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. We felt good about ourselves. A couple of days later, I got this card in the mail. I got to read it to you. I'm so glad I kept this. August 5th, 2016. Today, while I was in grocery shopping for my family of four, I stopped by Aldi because it's easier for me to manage my money there. Three members of your church, I didn't tell her I was the pastor. (laughs) Three members of your church paid my grocery bill as I was walking out. I was so appreciative of the gesture because what these men don't know is that I work really hard for my money. As a full-time CNA, I recently decided to go back to school for my RN. I've been financially worried about this. It's a ge- this gesture made my entire week. And then, and then she added this. This is the last thing she said. Thank you so much. My faith in God and humanity has been restored. Isn't that powerful? Here, here's what I took away from that. Here's what I took away from that. When God, when God is, is saying to me, Danny, I'm going to put resources in your hands so that you can have a harvest of generosity, the end goal is not for people to look at me and say, oh my gosh, you're so generous, you're so awesome. It's for their hearts to be stirred and see, see, see God for who he is. God is what people need. God is who people need. Jesus Christ is who people need. And our generosity can open up their hearts to see him for who he is and trust him. Now I could end the service right there and Paul could have ended his letter right there, but he says one more thing because he is like the coach of all coaches and he knows he needs to say this one last thing and I know I need to say this one last thing because a lot of us like to hear sermons and then leave and do jack squat. <laughs> I know you, I know you, I know who you are. He's like, wasn't that a good talk? I'm not gonna do it. That was funny, not gonna take action. Okay, so this is Paul. Ready? Watch this. He says, For your generosity to them and to the believers in Jerusalem will, say it with me, prove that you are obedient or you really believe in the good news of Christ. In other words, don't write a letter to me and tell me how much you believe in Christ and you're obedient to the gospel and you love Jesus with all your heart if you're not willing to put some money in the plate. It's your generosity that proves the authenticity of your faith. I wrote it like that in your notes. Generosity is the evidence that your faith is real. The truth is we have about 75% of Emmanuel folks here that give nothing. You come every week, you watch online, but you give zero. I would say to you, that's a problem. Do you agree that's a problem? Yes or no? Problem, problem. 80% of our bills here at Emmanuel are covered by 20% of the congregation. That's a problem. Yes? That's an issue. Shouldn't be the case. You should question 
Whether or not you believe in Christianity, if you're not acting in generosity, even if it's 1%, I'm not talking about amounts, I'm talking about your heart. Just because you can't do anything or you can't do much doesn't mean you can't do anything. Take a step of faith and trust in God and begin to give. Prove that your faith is real to yourself by stepping into generosity. Now, I could keep going, and, but I'm not going to. I want you to hear a story of a guy named Scott. Scott's life has been changed by God through Pastor Aaron at the Banta campus, and uh, his story tells it all. His story shows that when your life is changed by Christ, the natural next step is to begin living a life of generosity. I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to say any more. Check out Scott's story. In January, I was, the girl I was dating, we broke up, and I was devastated. I was heartbroken, and I remember crying and was thoughts away from committing suicide because I just didn't want to feel the pain anymore. And I remember being on my knees, crying, and literally saying, God, take the pain away. (laughs) One way or another. And he saved me right then and there. And I committed my life to Christ right there. My name is Scott Rusa. I go to the Banta campus. I grew up on the south side of Indianapolis, not too far from the Banta campus. Um, I had a normal childhood. I made the mistakes that we normally go through. Um, had ups and downs. Never really re- had a religious background. It was, um, and then eight years ago, I lost my mom to pancreatic cancer. And that was devastating to me. And uh, I took a downward spiral. Um, I started turning to alcohol to cope. And I started going to the bar. I was lonely. And the people in the bar, they were friends. And then it just became more and more every weekend, I would go party. And then sometimes through the week, I would go to sporting events and, and drink to the point of intoxication. And it got to the point where I remember one time I was looking in the mirror, hung over after a night of partying, and I was like, you got to stop. So I started going to Banta at the end of January, and I didn't know what to expect. I'd never really been in a church. Um, I was familiar with Danny's preaching from a previous relationship, and I would listen to his podcasts or listen on the app. When, When you're a baby Christian, you really don't know a whole lot, and there's a lot of questions to ask. So. But on August 8th, that's when uh, they were having baptisms, and I was like, that's a sign. I've had money, women, alcohol. I chased sex. I chased all that, and it's all temporary happiness. Nothing brought me happiness like the relationship that I have with God. And he's also saved me, so how how can I not give my life to him? So at the end of August, After I got baptized, after I joined small group, after joining the impact team, my company, 
called a meeting and they told, told us that they were going to give a dollar raise across the board. And it was just a cost of living raise. And after the meeting, I got in my car and I had on the radio and they were talking about tithing. Before I could even think about how am I going to spend this money, the topic of tithing came up. So I was like, well, how much am I going give to give to Emmanuel? And I knew that I wasn't giving enough before. Uh, I didn't know how much I should have been giving. Just like everybody struggles with, am I giving enough? How much should, am it supposed to be this amount, this amount? Well, with that dollar raise, I just knew I wasn't gonna nickel and dime God. He blessed me with that dollar raise, so I was just gonna give it all back. I was comfortable with where I was uh, living wise, and I knew he blessed me, and I needed to be a blessing in return. God will bless you in so many different ways. And so I immediately made that decision without hesitation that I was just gonna give it all to Emmanuel. And it's, it's nice to know that I'm able to do that. And I encourage others to do that same thing. Um, if you can maybe stop spending one, one, in one area and you can give more to the church, because I, I knew how much I used to be spending in, in the bars every weekend. And I never, never had any problem with that. So, but a lot of people know where I came from. They would always see me in the bar and having a good time. And, and now my happiness comes from church. And why would I not want to give back to that? When the generous grace of Jesus Christ enters your soul, the natural response is generosity. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that what you heard today will move you to action. In your, in your handout, there's a little QR code there. If you grabbed one of these on the way in, I think it's on the app as well. If you scan that QR code, it'll take you right to a website, eclife.org forward slash giving scale. We've created this to make it super easy for you if you feel led to be generous. Here's what it'll take you to. It'll look like this page right here. And what you would do is you fill out your annual income, whatever that is. You fill out the percentage that you'd like to give, that we encourage you to give, 5%, 10%, 7%, 2%, whatever you feel you want to start at. And then you put weekly or bi-weekly, however you get paid, and then you press calculate, and that'll give you the amount that you can give each and every week or, or bi-weekly or monthly or whatever it is. It'll take you to our PushPay app and you can set up a recurring gift there. That is a big step, but it makes complete sense and God is the one behind this. If you feel at all that after this talk you feel like I have manipulated you, don't do it. If you feel guilty, don't do it. If you feel like I have twisted your arm, don't do it. Do not give. Because he, here's why, because God will not accept it. He says, I want you to decide in your heart what to give from your heart. And I want it to be cheerful. I want you to want to do this. So if you're there, if that's where you're at, then take this action step and begin being generous each and every week. Follow God's example. God was a giver. If we look back 
to the most famous verse in the Bible. That's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave. No one gives more than God. He gave his one and only son, his most prized possession, that everyone who believes in him, everyone who trusts in him, will not perish, will not spend eternity apart from God after they die, but will instead receive eternal life. That is the message that we are on a relentless pursuit to get our friends involved in, to help them step into the kingdom, to help them find eternal life, joy, peace, and purpose in a relationship with God. I love what Scott said in his video. He said, I've hunted down and searched for, for happiness through money and women and sex and all these different things. It's all temporary happiness. And then he said, I now found happiness in Christ, in God. That is what we're all about. Helping people to trust in God and find a relationship with Christ. If that's where you're at today, maybe you need to begin a relationship with Christ. Maybe you need to put your trust in him. He died for you. The central act of our faith is an act of generosity. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins, washed and cleansed, so that you can have a relationship with God and find in that relationship everything your heart has ever longed for. Is that where you're at today? If it is, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Take these words, make them your own, reach out to God in faith and step into a relationship with him today. Will you pray with me? If you feel led to in this moment. The faith of a child will work here. Doesn't have to be deep. Just reach out in faith. Say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving your life on the cross so that I could be forgiven. I trust you today. I believe in you today. I ask you to forgive my sins. Wash me and make me your child. I believe you didn't just die, but you came back to life, conquering the penalty of sin and death, paying the debt that I owed. I thank you. I ask you to be my savior today. And from this day forward, may generosity flow out of my heart as it has flowed from yours with my time and my resources and the talents that you've given me. May my life be a blessing to those around me. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? God is working. If you just prayed that prayer, as I did many years ago, I had someone come alongside me and put a Bible in my hands, and so we've committed to do that for you. If you trusted in Christ today, we, we would love for you to text the word SAVE to 65248. And inside this box, there is a Bible. There's some information on how to get connected to the church, small group, baptism, and all that stuff. There's also a cup in here, a coffee cup, to say congratulations. If you, can, if you text this word to 65248, you're out of campus, you can pick one of these up at the information desk. If you're watching online, you can pick, fill out some information there, and we'll send one of those to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. It's been a pleasure. I hope this series has been a blessing to you. Right now, we're going to hand things off to the local teams. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.